0: Hello, Rebels and Imperials. Welcome back to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. I am here with my co-hosts, Liz. Hello. And Matt. Hey, how's it going? And we are going to be talking about Catalyst, a Rogue One novel. This is not a new book, so it's a little bit weird that we chose this one to start with for our book club, but that's okay. We did. Um, And... um, I want to start with Liz cuz Liz this is your first ever Star Wars novel. So, you know, it's not it's not all that different from other novels obviously, but how did you feel sort of diving into Star Wars in this new way?
1: Well, I was excited since I haven't really delved into anything Star Wars outside of the movies. Though, sadly, I did not enjoy this novel. Really? Uh, Yeah, really. Spoiler. Spoiler. I know. (laughs) So,
0: uh, without getting into specifics, because we're going to have a whole podcast about that, um, was there anything about the book that struck you particularly as Star Wars-y? Like, did it feel like Star Wars to you?
1: Um, Yes, it did a little bit. Um, Yes. Okay.
0: not enough. Okay, Matt, you have read many Star Wars novels. Did this feel Star Wars-y to you?
2: Yes, I think it falls into that second realm of Star Wars books, the imperial focus. Because I think, especially in the earlier days, you really had Force-centered things, you had Empire-centered things, and you had short story companions. Um, And I think it fell into the second realm of it. Um, I think the problem was it really existed as a setup of characters for a one-shot movie and i think sometimes it felt like that so it it was similar but not to the same level especially considering a lot of those empire centered ones were written by zon so that obviously has a bearing on it too Uh, timothy zon
0: for those listening who aren't aware is sort of the uh should we call him like the best Star Wars writer, or at least the best known Star Wars writer of his generation? Like he he was he was sort of the one who took the books into the level that that they eventually you know, ascended to. Um, I I do want to talk about sort of the necessity of this book, right? So there there are two different competing factors at play here one is that Disney which owns Lucasfilm is a corporate entity that wants to make money and they probably sell far more of this book with Rogue One on the cover than they would like random novel that doesn't have a film tie into it so I understand why from a business perspective you want to tell this story but do you guys think that your enjoyment of Rogue One would have been better if you had read this first or not at all
1: nope not at all I guess I should elaborate. Oh, go ahead, Matt. No, you
2: can you can continue, because you're probably going to say things I'm going to say.
1: Um, no, and that's what I thought of. I watched Rogue One again last night in preparation to see if it would enhance my enjoyment of the movie. And I was thinking of the scene where Jin sees her father, the hologram, where he's talking specifically to her. And, you know, she's devastated, perhaps, by seeing him again. Um, and I was hoping to see the two get close in this novel when, in fact, they had almost no interaction whatsoever.
2: True. I think in watching Rogue One, seeing this as a setup piece for it, it explained the struggle between Tarkin and Krennic. But I saw that also in the film again, oddly, still the same push pull 15 years later. What I wanted, what I realized I wanted after rewatching Rogue One was the prequel book of Saw Guerrera, which I'm sure will come out at some point. Um, but Saw and Jin's story very, very much more plays directly into um, the enjoyability of the film, I think. And that's coming from somebody who's seen Saw in Clone Wars and in Rebels um and still and kind of clueless as to how we get to this point in rogue one so i think the other prequel book that will some point come out might fill that gap so i was thinking about this this morning and
0: I, i think it's pretty interesting so when the plot for rogue one came out and they said this is the this is the story of stealing the plans that led to the death star a lot of people i think correctly said that's a Story we don't need to tell, like everything you need to know about that you get from the context of a New Hope, right? Yeah, the well, no, no, Bothans are the second, the second uh, uh, right. Death Star. So come on, Bothans are <laughs> Jedi. That's that's Buster.
2: So they <laughs> sold the plans to fly into the side that wasn't built <laughs> yet. That's smart. Yes, it was a, a brilliant strategy. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, so um, you know, it just it just sort of felt like all right, well, we we don't need to know how they were stolen. The important part is that they were stolen, right? But then Rogue One comes out, and I think all three of us really enjoy Rogue One, and yes. you can see that, oh, they built this really compelling story around this bit of minutiae. So with this novel, I thought, okay, this is sort of minutia upon minutia, and I think maybe it was just a step too far is sort of, I guess, my feeling with it, because I don't think anybody watching the film you know I just watched the first five minutes of Rogue One this morning just as a refresher just to see the scene with Jin as a child the the scene that most directly follows this up and the Krennic Galen relationship is laid out in like two lines of dialogue The, the way he says like the way he offers his condolences for Lyra's not death And then immediately says to search the house, the way he regards Lyra as a troublemaker, like all of – 380 pages or whatever of this, like all is told in that very beginning of the film. And on top of that, like you said, Matt, I haven't watched Rogue One in a couple of years, but I remember there being the Tarkin-Krennic sort of rivalry. And you just figure, like, okay, these guys are in similar positions in this organization – Everyone works with people that they have some sort of professional rivalry with, whether it's intentional or not. That's just what happens when people work together. And so I don't think I learned from this book why that rivalry was there because the rivalry is already there when the book starts. So it's not like you see them in the academy together and one steals the other one's girlfriend or, you know – they were always one and two in class. Like, you don't get any of that. You meet them and they don't like each other. And you meet them, as Matt said, 15 years later, and they still don't <laughs> like each other. So I don't know how much was really... Um, I don't know how much I learned about anything other than bullshit kyber science, which I still don't understand.
2: Well, and to that point, I, from reading the book now don't understand you spend an entire book talking about the instability of kyber crystals and the issues with kyber crystals and how they are living life forms they can be pushed and they can be manipulated and the weakness galen builds in is faulty reactor connections not anything to do with kyber crystals not remember we taught you about the stone around your neck that's slowly driving you mad um and all that work for the Kyber and the Force in the book, and then we don't capitalize on that in the movie either. If the book was about the difficulty of the Kyber crystals and we see that payoff in Galen utilizing his new understanding of the crystals and the relationship to the Force, maybe that would have smoothed things over a bit, but it just feels disconnected and throwaway at the end of it.
1: Yeah, Um. I... I thought it'd be cool to learn more about Kyber crystals, but I feel like I kind of know less now, almost now it's <laughs> yeah. more confusing. Um, I, I did like that the novel touched upon Lyra's fascination with the force. Yes. We get a little bit of that in the beginning of rogue one, but that's it because then she dies. Yeah. Um, but she does give, you know, Jin that necklace. And we get this idea that Lyra is a naturalist, perhaps in some way, mm-hmm. she is concerned about these worlds that are being destroyed by the empire. Um, You know, for the good of all, perhaps, which is something um, Galen reiterates. Yeah. Um, But yeah, she's concerned that the Empire is destroying these planets for resources. Um, And I I liked that uh, within the novel itself.
0: I find, and I don't know if Matt's going to agree with me on this or not, I find that in a lot of Star Wars novels... The characters I enjoy the most are not the characters that the, from the films that are transplanted into the novels, but are the characters that arise organically from the novels. And so, like Lyra is in Rogue One for six seconds, essentially. And so, I really liked her stuff in this because I was Same. learning about a character I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. I thought Haas, the uh, the smuggler pilot, was also the one of the better characters because you're Agreed. you're learning more about this new character. I just felt like the Galen stuff i didn't learn anything new krennic i didn't learn anything new tarkin i didn't learn anything new vader's mentioned for half a second Mm -hmm. and uh jinn is too young to have anything happen to her uh saw guerrera we get a little bit of saw but it's so little that you really can't want more yeah Mm -hmm. yeah exactly
1: yeah i i feel like i just hated galen even more i I don't know i didn't necessarily hate him in rogue one but after reading this novel i wound up Hating him, disliking him. I don't know if hate is too strong a word, but disliking him. He was like an, an empire, I don't know, apologist uh, in some way. But yeah, I, I expected to come away liking him as a character, and that's not what happened. Yeah,
2: I, th- I don't i don't know if that was the intention of the novel, was to show him as this struggling attempt at a hero, but by the end, you... Yeah yeah it's
1: yeah it wasn't effective perhaps no. I,
2: I my favorite parts were the krennic parts i liked what it could have been my favorite part um i mean this is going in a little too deep but i th- there's some parts of his that i really really enjoyed but i felt it didn't capitalize on it and didn't bring anything new to the table um yeah i agree any You get locked into these kind of, well, this is one side story in a large story that you can see on the big screen. So uh, there's so few risks, so few anything. And I feel if they weren't willing to take those risks with a one-shot movie where everyone dies, come on. uh, Where else are you going to do that?
0: And that's exactly one of the points I was going to make is that one of the inherent flaws in Star Wars media that aren't the films is the idea that you're filling in gaps that exist where you can't really futz with the ending. Like, Rogue One could do anything it wanted to those characters, but you know the plans have to get to Leia at the end. And so the plans not being transmitted was never really... To me, it was never really a moment of tension in the film because you know this has to happen at some point and you we de- you know the death star was blown up twice and star base which is basically a death star blown up a third time so you know i don't feel like you need to have necessarily um you you can't take such crazy risks because you need to get the characters to where you need to get the story to where it needs to be picked up by somebody else right but i think that within this you could have done so much more with a number of these characters. There's almost nothing in the book that I didn't learn anything about any of these characters that I couldn't have inferred from the screen.
2: I learned. I learned that Palpatine's first name is Sheev. Know that, that, I did I did not not know
1: that? I did not. Know that. I did not know that. No either.
0: idea.
2: Oh yeah, Sheevy baby.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I did. I do have to say I did like in some way that we got to see the Empire establish. Well, these bad guys established in a different way as bad guys. The original yes. trilogy starts, they're bad guys. They're doing bad things. But here we get to see them gain power um, through whatever means necessary, destroying these planets, other cultures, other groups, which I, I guess maybe is covered in the prequels as well. Um, but all for their own gain, and we see that through these individual characters of Tarkin and Krennic. I, I did enjoy that on some level. Yeah,
0: I, I think that there's there's a really interesting difference when you're looking at this, where you can imagine yourself. I mean, I, not not to be that guy, but like we're living in a society right now where a, where a lot of times the the ends are supposed to justify the means, mm-hmm. and we have somebody in power who is you know evil, I would say. I'm Sorry, listeners who are Trump supporters. Um, you know, and, and I feel like I you sort of see how people can get complicit in this and you can mm-hmm. see how propaganda works and you can see how the empire does not set about to be capital E evil. It sets out to be successful mm-hmm. and how it's just it people are taking that to really ridiculous conclusions and evil comes out of that. But no one's Sitting around twirling their mustaches like, oh, how are we going <laughs> to you know, Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> I agree- again, I do enjoy that stuff, but I feel like this is just showing stuff that was that I'm sure if you sat and thought about it, which I never really did, you would come to this kind of similar conclusions. Right?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I I liked maybe, you know, extending the idea that in some ways we as human beings have destroyed our own planets. Mm-hmm um maybe for i don't know if i want to say nefarious purposes but for the idea for the good of the whole for bettering ourselves for bettering our lives and we see this large group doing that to other planets i was just watching um a show on pbs last night with my dad about the space race united states russia and then i started thinking about how imagine if we traveled to other planets and how we could possibly then also destroy them maybe that was a little too existential for a you know a weekday during the Uh-oh. summer <laughs> no. but um I, yeah and i feel like this perhaps maybe in some sort of extension that covers that idea as well
2: yeah i did find it interesting the the comparisons with our government post-world war ii um this is coming from a history teacher um but we see this war machine grow and fight against the Separatist army. Keeping outside that it was a puppet army from Palpatine, but this idea that there's a lot of very well-meaning people in the Republic, even to the point of wanting to build this battle station for the fear that Dooku and the Separatists could have their own. And then this continuing stoking this flame that even though the war is over, there's more battles to be won. And using these kind of false narratives to push this um war machine against its own people and you see that kind of shift and pull Um, and i think that's what the defining really piece of krennic is is where his engineers keep getting more wishy-washy and understanding that the war is over why do we need these and he's like well we need them because we need them in his mind ruling through fear is the way that things work um, but seeing that shift from who we see as the quote unquote good guys in the first three movies moving into being the bad guys in the next three, it sort of shows that shift a little bit. Um, but again, not to criticize the thing, but there's other books that show that better. Um, I'm right now reading the new um, Thrawn series, not the Heirs of the Empire, the current one. Um, The third one comes out soon, so I want to play catch up. Um, But again, it shows that same sort of timeline, that same sort of idea and this, what can you do when you have all of this power? Can you use it for good while still doing evil things? What is the greater good? All these sorts of questions. But in this book, it gets kind of just muddied up in Krennic's blind ambition, and that's one of my big issues with, um, with the Krennic
0: and the Tarkin characters in this book. And we, we should say we haven't even mentioned yet. Uh, James Luceno wrote this book. Sorry, sorry, Jim. We're uh, <laughs> we're not we're not too kind to your work today. But um, I feel like both of them are obviously careerists that want that want to get higher and higher and higher. But there's no real motivating reason for wanting to get higher, except that that's just what you do. Like they never give a reason why either of them would be so willing to lock in to walk in lockstep with this truly with these truly terrible things. And that's where I think, like Liz was saying before, she liked seeing where the empire was coming from, how it was being built up. We were saying it wasn't like. Not everyone's walking around with evil, nefarious plans, but Krennic Krennic and Tarkin kind of are, and that sort of undermines the other stuff in the book.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I just wanted more character development in some way in this novel, and I feel like that's what was lacking. There was just no development. I didn't care, really, about any of these characters. I wanted to see them get close, interact with each other. You know, as a family, they kind of did, but not really. I just...
2: Needed more. Yeah, for a book that spends probably 50% of its bulk text in random flashbacks, you could have definitely laid the groundwork for some of this character development and some of these interactions to be more meaningful. But instead, we have just what the hike smelled like and what the f- fall of the rainwater some was the like in a very details. gross way to talk about their first lovemaking. Like, there's so much text in this book it's not a short story there's a lot here but it just never gets the traction and again if you could write a krennic who saw his world destroyed during the war and vowed to strike fear into a separate like all that would have been fine it would have been something we've heard over and over again but at least it gives some sort of a motivation but again it's just guys being evil because they're evil because we know they're evil I have two quick follows. Do you have something you want to say? Go I was ahead. just
1: going to say something about the description is I feel like the author almost tried to visually show what Star Wars movies show with the description, which mm-hmm. didn't pay off in the novel the same way. Okay. Because there are so many different types of beings, which he describes, the insectoid, mm-hmm, whatever right, they are, yeah. um, people, but it just didn't work here.
0: Yeah. My two follows. Matt, did you read the Tarkin novel yet? I have I believe... Now, I'm going to say it's written by Luceno also, but I don't know if I'm right about it. That book goes into a little bit more detail about sort of how Tarkin came about, um, but it's not um, – I didn't feel that was super successful in that realm either. Again, you, you sort of see why he's the type of person he is, so that helps a little bit. There's still not real – I don't know. I thought there was a little motivation lacking there, but – the biggest thing that I took away from this novel in terms of a missed opportunity was Only back up. Have either of you read The Shining? Not seen the movie The Shining. Have you read The Shining? I have not. Okay. I love the book The Shining. I love the film The Shining. The problem with the film of The Shining is that Jack Nicholson's crazy from the minute you meet him. And like the whole point of the book The Shining is you meet this like milquetoast normal guy who becomes crazy over the course of a book. And I felt like when you meet Krennic, he's already unlikable. And I think if they had shown when Galen and Krennic first met, and he's charming, and they become buddies, then the betrayal means something. And there's there's none of that in this book. And that really bothered me as well.
1: I feel like Rogue One almost does a better job at the very beginning. Um, where was it, when I was watching it last night when Krennic says to Galen, the work stalled, I need you to come back. Mm-hmm. Which also is a weird premise for someone who escaped. I don't know, it didn't really match up with what right, happened yeah. at the end of the novel. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like almost in the novel, I'm sorry, in the movie, it did that better mm-hmm. than in the novel
0: yeah, yeah. like you know, i don't understand why <laughs> again why you when you have 400 pages to play with why you wouldn't try to humanize that character a little bit more of mm-hmm. krennic um but yeah are, are we ready to take a break and then get into sort of the nuts and bolts of the book yes all right we shall return momentarily
2: Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back
0: to your show. Okay, so let, let's dig in here. Um, one of the things I did want to talk about was, you know, we talked before about the Kyber Crystals, and for those that aren't familiar, Kyber Crystals are what? Power lightsabers. They play a role in Rogue One, obviously, sort of the the mining of the Kyber Crystals from Jeddah, Which is weird.
2: Which is weird. I don't... uh, From reading the book, the idea of the kyber crystals is they can't be broken or fused or anything with. So you need these giant ones that are very, very rare that you can only get from certain Jedi temples. So why they're getting their hands on all the kyber crystals, it sounds like they're just shoving them then into the Death Star (laughs) in these giant piles. Like, they don't get used up. They're indestructible. I don't know why they need so many. It's it's odd to me. That is odd. Um, but, you know, the
0: kyber crystals are, are a major part of this story. And yet, we were talking before about how it's really still hard to understand what the kyber crystals, like how they operate. You know, there's an episode of the Clone Wars show where they bring younglings into this area where there are lots of kyber crystals. And Amelia's eyes are lighting up. My daughter's watching this record, and she loves this episode because you get all these young Jedi who, like, each kyber crystal calls to them, and so they have to, like, go through these these traps to find their kyber crystal that calls to them. And that was the best explanation of kyber crystals that I have seen in terms of just sort of what their power is and, and that sort of thing. It's like
1: the wands in Harry Potter? Yes,
0: similar to the wands in Harry Potter. Um... And, uh, you know, so it's. I, I really enjoyed that element of it. But here, like, so the Kyber Crystals react to human beings. Like, I, I did like the one scene where he's talking about how when he held the Kyber Crystal in his hand, he felt something. But if you put the Kyber Crystal on anything else that isn't human, it isn't, isn't organic, it isn't living, nothing happens. Like, so it connects with humans. I get that. But we're also supposed to believe that Jedi have this, like, this greater control of the kyber crystals and then at some point he just does also like he does a little bit of science that doesn't really make any sense and he changes the insides of the kyber crystals Like,
2: well they also take the leap to say that it's the connection with the kyber crystals that allowed jedis to use lightsabers when we've seen non-jedi use lightsabers Throughout all different points of Star Wars canon, I think th- the best way that I was able to wrap my head around it is the way that you discuss the force. Each writer has their own kind of idea, and it does different things in different writers' hands as much as it does in the hands of the people in the universe. And just, I just, sloppy isn't the right word. I just think it's inconsistent because depending upon who's writing, uh, we see in the Ahsoka Tano storyline, her relationship with the Kyber Crystals is strong and deep. Um, but in this, Galen Urso is kind of just manipulating them to make a super weapon and then eventually just you harvest as many as you can to do something with them.
1: Yeah, I I feel like at a certain point I almost started glossing over some of the Kyber crystal information because it was so non-specific and frustrating. I wanted some concrete answers, and it seemed like the author just didn't want to delve into that.
0: And I understand that maybe they don't have the authority. Well, that's fair. But then don't make your story. About well, that.
1: correct. <laughs> yeah. And then was Lyra searching for Kyber crystals at some point during the novel? And then how did she know what she goes? She for? she
0: goes on that like. She had sends her sensor on yeah. this essentially get out of Galen's hair mission where he's sending her to look for like a vein of kyber crystals. Yeah. Uh, again, it's just it's, it's, it's not very well explained here. Uh, the other thing I, I did want to talk about is sort of in relation to the Death Star itself and the weaponry itself. Like we're supposed to believe that Galen is this incredibly brilliant man that he is by far the smartest of these scientists, blah, blah, blah. And yet it takes him until 350 pages in to realize that maybe they're weaponizing this? Like, Didn't that seem like a a stretch?
1: Again, yes. And I think that is also what led to me not liking him as a character. It seemed like he just buried his head in the sand and wanted to do what he wanted to do. And ignored all of these outside warnings. And he seemed to be the kind of person who could go off on his own and get lost in his work. And then his family would have to just deal with that, even if he wasn't present. Maybe he was physically present, but he wasn't present with them. But he was this genius, so that was permitted. Yeah, I
2: feel like you just keep waiting for him to wake up and realize what's going on you know all your friends are disappearing and <laughs> there but the, again some of it comes from the problem that it was a novel constructed the way that it was and um if this had been it would have been much more believable if this had been a novel based a short maybe 50 page stories about different characters. One about Krennic, one about Haas, one about Galen, one about Jin, one about Saul. Like that, I could have seen the character arc through there perhaps, but yeah, he just seems like he is a willing idiot through most of the novel.
1: As I was reading, I, it was frustrating almost how they switched back and forth between perspectives of characters. And I was thinking maybe even if they just organized chapters by character, yes. or got the point of view by character, it would be so much more enjoyable to read as a novel.
0: Agreed completely. Uh, and, I, and I understand that there's supposed to be this idea of like the absent-minded professor, right? The guy sure. who is who is yeah. so buried in his work, uh-huh. he, he loses sight of, of day and night and all that. But... Like you understand what, what's going on here? I, it just seems to me, and I know that we are also reading this from a very different perspective than he was living it. Like we know that the empire is yeah. bad, you know. It's, yeah. it's That's true. But still, I just I felt that part of the book was really tough to, tough to swallow, in a couple of
2: ways. Well, again, and the odd part at the end, it's almost like his sin wasn't creating a super weapon. His sin was messing with kyber crystals. And again, it that's what Lyra is almost more upset about him with is that he was manipulating kyber crystals, not that he was making a giant super weapon.
1: Yeah, she seems concerned about the Jedi and the Force more so than yeah. the idea of a super weapon, you're right.
0: And I also feel like this what could have been an interesting part of this novel, and this is one of the notes I took right early on. So we don't there's so much we don't know about Star Wars, but we do know that the Jedi are this peacekeeping force that everybody knows about, right? Even in the original trilogy, when the Jedi are extinct, people still know what Jedi are. And so, can you imagine for a second that the Jedi are like the army? Imagine if one day the army stopped being around wouldn't people talk about that a lot wouldn't that be a, a like a major wait wait a second our, our protectors are gone like i would think that when the jedi went away people would have had this like this vile this like very extreme reaction to that or if the Jedi were considered, like, archaic, whatever. It just, I just feel like everyone's like, oh, okay, they're not Jedi anymore. Like, But there's there'd be some sort of reaction to it, whether it be fear or joy or something, and there's no reaction. Everyone's like, oh, the Jedi are gone? All right, well, yeah, well, yeah
2: I guess. Yeah. No, because the explanation, they tried to overthrow the Senate. It's like, all of them? <laughs> Each and every one of them? And then we wiped them all out? Including the little kids, that doesn't make sense. That's not a reasonable argument. People's like, uh, all right, I guess that's that seems reasonable.
1: Yeah, just thinking about human nature, even if it you know comes to politics, you know, Democrats, Republicans, you know, maybe I, there's so much conflict. If one side disappeared, I feel like it's all you would talk about. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's all it's all people talk about now. It's hard right. to avoid. Yeah. But they're
2: very they're very careful not to tread on legacy planet mining rights. But they will wipe out an entire sector of the overall government.
0: Not only that, but like Jedi are like whenever anybody meets a Jedi, even in the prequels, no one really knows what they can do. They just treat them as these like magical beings, and so you think that they're super powerful. If if superheroes were real and the government wiped them out, people (laughs) would be talking about this. Like, yes, there's just it's. it's
1: (laughs) Think of all conspiracy theory websites. Yes,
0: exactly. The Net would be full of conspiracy <laughs> theories. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's very, very hard for me to, to sort of square that. And again, like, that could have been a really interesting way to ov- to, in- to open up this book.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's the same way how we see fireworks on Coruscant when the Empire is overthrown. It's like, you're the Empire. Why are you celebrating? What is happening here?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of internal logic flaws in this in in these books. I think we can certainly say. Um, all right, well, let's 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 talk about some of the characters. Okay, so Matt, you really enjoyed Krennic uh, in this book, and I think that there was a lot of interesting stuff that happened with Krennic in terms of like we saw him do different things, but I still feel like we didn't learn all that much more about him. So what was it about credit that you enjoyed?
2: I think what really sold me on him early on, there's a scene where they're getting briefings in this um, opera house auditorium. Um, And he knows that his life goal is to be one of the officers in the private boxes. He knows that his trajectory is going forward. Um, And he continually attempts... To be the smartest man in the room, um, he is able to read people. He's able to manipulate. He's able to um, kind of do all these things to ensure that he's always got the upper hand. And we see, I think, the problem is we see almost every imperial officer the same way. I could, we could say the same thing for Tarkin. We could say the same thing for Thrawn. Um, but what makes Krennic different is his willingness to gamble and these moments in the book where you are almost intrigued by his relationship with Galen because it's he has this fascination with Galen and he has this obsession that his career hinges off of Galen that he will protect him he will pamper him, he will push him, he will kill the people he loves, he will do anything to him. It becomes a very sick relationship, but that tie, that need he has to be connected with Galen, um, I think is very interesting for me, and that's the one thing that changed how I watched Rogue One. So I would say watch, read the book and then watch Rogue One and watch Krennic... After Galen dies because he does not pull the trigger on Galen in that whole scene I don't think he was going to kill Galen he never would he protects him with his life because he thinks that his career hinges on that and he becomes panicked and wild after Galen's death that kind of ends up leading to his death on Scarif um, so I think he is just one hair above a lot of the boring imperial characters that we see um from the beginning of the book i had really high hopes i don't think we ever saw him get anywhere specific but i enjoyed his parts a lot more than some of the other characters so
1: It seems like Krennic was all about control and manipulation within the novel, and I think we got more of that in the novel than perhaps in Rogue One, and a lot of that was demonstrated through his relationship with Galen. And then even when he um, sends Tarkin off on that other mission, and he's tied up for months... Mm -hmm. which I think is exemplified perhaps in one of my favorite terrible quotations from the novel where he it. has his Star Trek con moment oh, and wait. just yells out Galen. <laughs> he said, and the description is, he said, as if orphaned. <laughs> then Galen, exclamation point, shouting it to the busy sky.
2: Oh, oh, oh. oh. Well, busy sky, because it was all species week, everybody. Was- <laughs> hey!
0: Hey! How are you guys celebrating All Species Week this year? <laughs> Buster liked that. Yeah, he did. Will it really?
2: But the Willa Parade really stopped their chase down at the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, That's all I have to say about Krennic. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, my, my one other note about Krennic is that I think that like one of the one of the benefits of reading this after seeing the novel is that you can picture Ben Mendelsohn the whole time, who was mm-hmm. excellent oh, in yes. Rogue One. He is so good in Rogue One, and so I think that that, that uh, Luceno was able to somewhat capture his cadence. And his overall sense of sort of who Krennic is, except for that con moment, uh, which did stick <laughs> out like a sore thumb. But, I, you know, I um, What's frustrating about when you label something as a one off? Like, so Rogue One was supposed to be this one off series, and now they're doing a uh, Cassian Endor like series on Disney Plus, and they did this book. And yet, there are like four more books that could spin out of this. You could do when Galen and Krennic were in, like the academy together. You could do the Rera Gin book. Like, there's no such thing as a one-off in Star Wars. But I will say, I kind of want more Krennic. I just want better Krennic. Yeah,
1: agreed. That that works. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. All right. While we're talking about Imperials, anything to add about Tarkin? From this book, any anything that that we are seeing here that wasn't clear in Rogue One or A New Hope?
1: In terms of character... Well, that one scene of Red of the Sith, sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. I, I feel like as a character, he didn't really change much for me. I didn't really learn too much about him here. I just uh, kept wondering when they would call him Grand Moth in the novel. Uh, so we got some explanation about those titles. But that's really it for me.
2: Yeah, it's all... I know that he needed to be in there because we needed to see him and um, Krennic fight over whose Death Star is it. Um, because even in the lore, Tarkin is the one who's been championing it. Krennic hops on when he thinks he can wrestle it away with being able to power the super weapon. Not to, Let's talk about the Star Wars logic of let's build a giant battle station. This sounds great. Let's strip apart worlds to build it. What is it going to shoot? Don't worry. We'll (laughs) get there at some point. Just build the (laughs) giant moon station. Um, We'll get a gun. Yeah, we'll we'll find the gun. Don't worry. Um, As opposed to maybe starting with that, um, like they did in the extended universe. But anyway, but the idea of... um, Tarkin felt less Tarkin-y in this book, I feel. He continually... lets Krennic get the upper hand on him. He falls into his traps. He's able to find the moments to knock Krennic back down, but I always saw Tarkin as more of always the master of these situations. And he felt less so here than in the movies or even um, Clone Wars or Rebels.
0: I um I do want to say the one thing I, 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 I don't want to say I appreciated I was surprised by was that Tarkin like genuinely seems to take a shine to Galen early in the novel and tries to help him out for for no it seems like nefarious purpose. Like he just kinda sees this guy in a bad situation. It's like, I'm gonna help that guy. And I feel like that's not the Tarkin we've we've seen a lot of times. But I did feel it added a little more depth to the character, but
1: Yeah, get a little sort of mentor feel.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I actually read this fascinating article recently about how uh, superhero movies, and I know we're not talking about we're not talk about, talking about that, but I promise it relates. Superhero movies have made the villains too relatable, and they were saying like they were talking about Spider Man Homecoming, the first, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who plays Spider Man now, Tom uh, Holland. Holland, thank you, Tom Holland. Uh, Spider Man film, where like the Vulture does, Vulture is totally right in that film. Like the big guy is crushing his business. This is what he has to do. Like and how they make them too vulnerable and so it's hard to root against them. I feel like this had the opposite these novels tend to have the opposite effect where everyone's just too evil that you don't see why they are doing what they're doing, but I felt like that little bit of Tarkin was a bit of a glimpse of maybe who he would have been if he didn't become an imperial. And in the Tarkin novel, you find out he's from this like this far-flung world where there is this jungle, essentially, that when you become like fourteen, you have to get through the jungle to become a man, and like so, a lot of the book is about him sort of going through this this like test. It's basically like a bar mitzvah of uh, of death, and uh, the, and <laughs> well, I like that description. Uh, thank you, uh, and so like, you get more about the character. But I, I thought that was that was one little thing. Um, the character I think we're gonna have the least to say about, but is Ultimately, the reason this book exists is Jin. Mm-hmm. We get so little Jin in this book. And I understand, like, look, you know, it's not interesting to write a toddler. I understand that. Um, but I didn't even get, I thought we'd get a lot of scenes of Galen and Jin, even Jin as a baby, just like show a real special bonding there. Something to make you understand that relationship. In the beginning of Rogue One, you know, and, and granted, Rogue One takes place a number of years after this novel, and so you hope that when they're on, when they're in isolation together with Lyra, they do get that closeness, but this would have been a really great place to show that, and they just don't show it at all.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted some background info or some sort of, I don't know if it would have been cheesy, but I needed some sort of concrete reason why he calls her Stardust.
0: They
1: basically say, like, that's her
2: nickname. Yeah. yeah it looks like she has stardust in her eyes. I, I needed something there. I haven't eaten there. in days. Yeah. This sounds great.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I just needed something there, again, to yeah. add to Rogue One. Just some, it, it could be ish, just something, some reason. Again, which would establish their closeness, their relationship in some way. But uh, that didn't really happen. We got a description of what she wears. At one point, she dons a backpack. Yeah, she
2: wears, She likes wearing a helmet around. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Then there's ways you could have done it if this book was Jin telling the story of her father in the in-between time before Rogue One. I like that a lot. Um, if it was interspliced with some other things, like some some Star Wars books have very creative ways of narrating to do these sorts of things as i pitched to liz to read more well, of them Yeah, my brother was telling me <laughs> some of his
1: favorite books when he was growing up were star wars novels so he was disappointed when i said i didn't like this one yeah Sorry, there, I there's
2: no no, no there, there's just ways you could do it but it just wasn't done she is kind of a toss-away character despite the fact that she is the main character in the movie that you're setting up so it's an odd choice yeah, I, I have nothing else to add to
0: that. <laughs> I, I I wish there was more about Jin in this book. Although I understand the challenges in getting there, uh, a character that I feel like was similarly not explored in this book, frustratingly, is Galen. Like you know, he he's sort of we talked before about his sort of uh, absent minded professorism, and you know that's that that's fine, but I really feel like there just there just wasn't that much. I don't know any more about Galen Urso than I did before this book started. Nothing.
1: What was it like for him growing up? I don't know. What was his family like? You know, I, we get a little bit of background with him and Lyra, but that's about it. Yeah, just something more.
0: Even just giving him, like, a fun quirk or two yeah. would have been good, but he's so humorless. He's so Ugh, joyless.
2: So boring. I mean, we, we, all we know is that he was a virgin before he met Lyra, because in the book... <clears throat> it does say that the expedition they were on lasted six months, and by the end of it, they were lovers. She had made the first move, but he had gotten the hang of things very quickly. Oh. Favorite quote in the book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it basically should have been like, I picture like Lucinda's notes like he's like, Galen, brilliant scientist, uh, you know, devoted husband, bad at sex.
1: Should <laughs> like, like, his editor comment on this? the yeah. editor of anything to say? <laughs> like, <laughs> fine yeah. people abide buy it at star wars yeah.
2: speed, read, speed read through look for robot names and have a hyphen in it and then go yeah. we need those star wars names we do need
0: those Star this off air we're talking about how certain certain star wars media just don't do the names as well as others um but yeah um i wish it was more Galen. i do want to talk about Lyra a bit because lyra have, what, what do we decide on
1: I've been saying Lyra. Okay, we'll say it.
0: Like the Italian currency, Lyra. Um, yeah, so I did feel like her character got a fair amount. I mean, she, she's in Rogue One so little, you, you couldn't help but learn more about her. That's because, accurate. Because she's just in it so infrequently. But I will say, like, you know, she's this environmentalist. She is very smart in her own way, but very differently than he is she is a devoted mother again very differently than he is she distrusts krennic which seems like the best decision that she made um you know and i i understand that she is in a lot of ways a counterbalance to galen in the book but because galen is so insufferable (laughs) she she winds up being like the de facto protagonist even though she probably shouldn't be
2: Yeah, and they, they attempt to just fill space with her. At times, there's a scene where she uh, is running and thinks that she's being chased, but is really just two monkeys in trench coats trying to sell her a necklace.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. That's a detail from this novel. <laughs> yeah, that,
2: that's what happened. But a lot of the scenes are just her sitting, and she remembers when her and Galen first met but doesn't add anything to the story or she sits and thinks I remember when there were Jedi the Jedi are great the force is great and it's like what is where are we going with this and they continually introduce her as the strong character she's the one making the decision she's the one in charge and then the story just kind of goes nowhere with that
1: yeah, she and Galen are pretty good foils, I guess, in terms of personality. She is the character I feel I learn the most about. And he is a dud. He's a dud, and she at least is something. Um, I, And I feel like the author tried to frame her as someone that has her own life, her own career, her own interests, but also can support her absent-minded professor husband um you know she has those different roles um she was the only character they mentioned uh, her weight she had lost the weight she gained with gin, but was getting soft after all the months of waiting around for the situation to change they also
2: call her promiscuous <laughs> yeah. at another point yeah. i don't i don't know how much they hate women <laughs> or are they trying to tone it down the idea of like she's a strong female but, but not that strong remember know. she's also kind of fat yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it was that was very odd it was yeah. very weird yeah
2: the double standards
0: in this uh, and they actually they no, I they did they, they talk about other characters wait they, they they praised galen for gaining weight back ah, all remember, right okay, okay. He, all right well there you go
1: good job guy so <laughs> good yeah work. it's
0: it's okay when he gets soft when she, when she gets soft no. get out <laughs> bikini season is always in the star wars universe um uh, yeah, yeah, and 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 again, like I I liked Lyra enough in this book to not get um to not get exhausted by the time I spent with her. Whereas some of the other characters, I was just exhausted by the time I spent with them.
1: I feel like she kept getting like the shit end of the deal, but persevered through it and still managed to be a likable character in some way.
0: Yeah, I I would like to again, like if there were another story to spin out of this, which I'm not and suggesting, but if they were to do it. I actually think like, a Lyra book would be more interesting than a Galen book for sure. It,
2: would it be her interspecies romance with her best friend <laughs> that they throw in, oddly enough? <laughs> I don't know why they have to talk about how much she's into her female friend's eyes and green oh, skin. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I forgot about that. There's a that. lot of weird stuff in here. There is. Uh,
1: yeah. It's not good at writing female characters, I guess.
2: I, I
0: guess not. Uh <laughs> But yeah, sure. Uh Lyra Sex Maniac. That's a, that's a, that's
1: okay, okay. He doesn't write any good characters. <laughs> 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 Sorry, snap. that was strong. Sorry.
0: <laughs> we have an English teacher with us, folks. This is uh this is what you get. Um I guess uh the next character we should talk about a little bit is uh is Haas Obit, who is um I think we all established a character we really enjoyed, a character that had some depth to him and seemed like you know smuggler is a type in the star wars universe and um you know especially in the old extended universe there were a number of like near solos faux solos characters that were that were not quite han solo and and he dash
2: rendar. Yes. you leave dash rendar out of this all right
0: <laughs> you know i'm right <laughs> you know i'm right uh, dash rendar is is essentially like uh diet han solo uh, i I love Dash. Don't get me wrong, but you know, but there's a um, th- there's a fair amount of sort of um, like a type to a smuggler in Star Wars, and I, I don't think that he necessarily fits that type to a T. I think there there are some differences in his character. I thought that he um, he actually grows throughout the book. He changes. He is not the same at the end of the book as he is at the beginning of the book, which is not true of almost anybody else in the novel. And I'll say this. I think that his moments were the most compelling throughout the entire novel.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like I have to agree. His character arc was an actual arc. We see him change. He's a reformed smuggler. Um, yeah, he, you know, picked, I, I guess, as readers, we would think, the right side. And I have a soft spot for, you know, a smuggler um, who is then redeemed. So, yeah, he's a character I definitely enjoyed.
2: Yeah, I enjoyed. I found that his smuggler arc was believable in a way that a lot of the other ones in the franchise haven't been he was in it just for the money and he got in way over his head he wasn't some machismo character he was weak and he was being pulled along and he knew that he had the choice of continuing to be a weak pawn or he could step up and make that decision that might End up getting him killed, but he knew it was right. And I think in a masterful Krennic moment, even Haas's turn to good, um, Krennic is able to use his advantage. Mm. So it's a, again, in, in the interplay is very interesting. I kept reading, though, like, how does this relate to the rest of the storyline? um it felt very disconnected until the end so i'm glad they brought it back together in a way that a lot of other storylines weren't i'll also say that in some ways
0: haas is the haas has i was going haas i kind of had a similar haas um I, th- I think in some ways he shows us how foolish Galen is because he sees the angles right away and now part of that is because he's a smuggler yeah. and like he's used to having people lie to him but like he gets the, he gets the knack way before uh, Galen does. Um, so after I was reading this book, I went on Wikipedia which is if, if you guys aren't using Wikipedia, you need to be using it and I wanted to see where else he has appeared in Star Wars media. He is mentioned in Rebel Rising, which is a Jin Erso novel. Uh, it's a young adult novel, I believe, or maybe a uh, uh, young readers, but it's 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 out there. But he's in Rogue One in a very specific part. So he Jin has a doll that she calls her Lucky something, and that's Haas. It's named like Lucky Haas something. Is it the Stormtrooper? No, it's not. Okay, and so. Yeah, so Matt has <laughs> the Rogue One visual too. encyclopedia with him. So um, I don't know if it's going to be in there or not. Is, is uh, it in there? Uh, page 22,
2: Jin's Toys. Okay, <laughs>
0: Let, let's do this.
2: Very specific. Page flipping. Let's see. Lucky Haas <gasps> Ovid. It's a blue furry doll with a yellow face. It is oh, directly yeah. there. So I want to give a big shout out to the librarian who helped me yesterday at the Mawa Library find these books. So I told her I was doing research. She vaguely believed me. So use here your we go. local
1: libraries. Yes,
0: I, I think all three of us are very pro library <laughs> on this show.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, it looks like uh, what's that kids show where there's different color characters? Uh, tel- okay. Oh, it uh, it's te- it's looks like a Teletubby. Come up with this Wait, character.
2: What does this look like? Mm, it's like Chewbacca. Oh. <laughs> <like Chewbacca. laughs> Uh, okay. star wars fan. yeah yeah it's fuzzy, fuzzy. yeah
0: <laughs> that's the not the last amelia actually co-hosted an episode of force ghost coast to coast oh. with me a couple years ago i uh, was talking about star wars so it's it, no offense guys it's my favorite episode so I, far i can imagine maybe um, she
1: can join us again yeah
2: so she, she also has an ig88 toy called mr iggy which again means very cool things to be happening in this book that hasn't been written yet about their fleeing yes um so that is really cool so anyway
0: i was just i was i don't know if you actually now when because so listen i are gonna be talking about um rogue one in a couple of weeks for our our sort of movie centric episodes so now we have to like really pay attention during that scene to see if we can see that yeah toy. we do yes because no one refers to it by name in the film no. obviously so how would you know like unless you have this visual encyclopedia thanks like thanks to matt we've yeah, got it yeah yeah, yeah. um I think this is a character that could be spun off into interesting things in the future. Yes. And so if if that's what comes out of this book, that's a good thing, yeah. I suppose.
2: That's why I was almost disappointed in his kind of get the girl walk off into the sunset moment. Because there's a lot more fighting and rebellion happening after this that he could be involved in.
1: I, I feel like he and Lyra had some good interplay as well when they went off together. Uh-huh. Just as travel friends buddies exploring yeah. um but you know
0: yeah um i i would like to see more more of him and the character i think that all of us wanted to see more of was saw guerrera as well so as matt alluded to saw plays a role in clone wars i'm not far enough into rebels to have seen him in rebels but thanks for spoiling that buddy okay. uh just kidding <laughs> obviously it's fine
2: i also spoiled it again i also spilled it again with the visual dictionary so <laughs> <laughs> there we go
0: um but the uh but yeah so we uh, and we see him you know a little bit in the first third of Rogue One and you know he's he's a rebel he is a particularly violent rebel he is sort of the the extreme wing of the rebels and here he isn't that at all this is this seems to be saw before he was radicalized to this degree although in the clone wars he's already somewhat radicalized right Matt?
2: Sort of, but the idea in the Clone Wars is that with the death of his sister, he pulls back on that, yet we see that unravel in the timeline in between, and we don't ever really have a good story as to how that happens.
0: Right, um, but... So, Liz, you only really know Saw from from Rogue One. Correct. So, what what were your impressions of him in this book versus in Rogue One?
1: I definitely wanted more Saw. I wanted to see more of his background just because he seems like an interesting character in Rogue One and there's so much there to explore and far as far as whitaker plays him right? yeah yeah he does uh, you know a great job i think in rogue one i i don't know if this is something that is explained in another iteration Mm -hmm. of star wars but the suit situation not not yet yeah that's something i wanted but that
2: oh um sort sort of yes actually
1: all right um yeah, so I, I wanted more song, but there was very little character development in this novel. Yeah, it felt him.
2: they they just introduced him so you would know when he picks up a child from a fake rock. It's not weird. Yeah. They're like, Oh, he knows this guy. Cool. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Um, but it re- it could have been anybody. It could have been a nameless character, it could have been Hondo, it could have it could have been anyone. There was nothing defining in his role in this.
1: The only thing that stood out was the fact that I wanted to know more about him and recognized his name from Rogue One.
2: Yeah, cuz he's an obviously an interesting character, has an interesting background, some terrible things have happened to him. He has some relation to the rebellion and really again, it it leaves you wanting more and the book, I was surprised when I saw his name in there. I was like, "Oh, so we're going to get a little more." Okay, and then
1: Yeah, if he's someone that's, you know, training a child to become a fighter, why? Why is that him?
0: Yeah, and and I think that, again, like, you know, I know that this book doesn't want to... It wants to be a prequel to Rogue One, but like you said, Matt, I think the Jin and Saw story is far more interesting, you know, was... Was the murder of Lyra and the kidnapping of Galen what radicalized him again? You know, we don't know any of these things. You know, I think it'll be much, much more interesting to dig sort of into that in the future. Are um, there any other characters
2: that we uh, particularly want to I talk about? Uh, I have one. Just again, kind of my fringe for anybody who listened to was it two episodes ago when we talked about Clone War, the uh, Attack of the Clones, last episode, last episode. Um, is the inclusion of Poggle the Lesser and the continued inclusion of the Geonosians. Um, for Liz or anybody else who hasn't listened, um, Liz, I mean, Liz listens to all of them, so I don't have to worry tragic, about that. Yes. Um yes. But the idea of the Geonosians in seeing them as this disposable race in making the Death Star. Again, this kind of convenient, filthy race they add into Star Wars as kind of when you blow them up with the Death Star, you don't feel bad. Um, so you don't need to worry about them. But then hey, um we see uh Poggle and this more vicious and more terrifying view of Geonosians again to make sure we don't feel bad for them when they <laughs> die by the millions in it. Um, and it kind of goes again into this idea that I talked about um, with Brian on the last podcast is this idea of Star Wars doesn't really know how to handle death or non-humans or morality in a more complicated way. Just because they're bugs doesn't mean that I'm cool watching them die by the millions trapped as space slaves. And the book kind of glossed over that in an odd way with the character of Poggle.
0: Yeah. uh <laughs> we talked a lot about sort of the casual racism of Star Wars yeah. and how you know that, that that extends to other species as well. Um, Liz, any any final thoughts on the novel uh, that we didn't get to? Uh, Go through your list. Let's there, see, I'm,
1: I'm going through my list, my notes here. Okay. Let's see. Oh, Matt has oh. one, so let's. let's oh, okay, I was I was going to mention um, that the novel felt to mention that Jin missed her nanny droids. Yes, uh, which uh, was very noteworthy. Danny McVee. Yeah, yeah. What a what a
0: name. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: uh, <laughs> I don't
2: know. Danny McFee, McVee, got it.
1: And then we we see her save. Uh, what's his name? Is it K two uh, in Rogue One? Mm-hmm. He doesn't get shot. She mm-hmm. uh, stands in front of him to protect him. So uh, yeah, but besides that, Matt's got I something. Do have
2: one. So I brian and liz are the real readers i'm more of a war gamer so i don't know if it's the amount of paint fumes that i smell but this the end this tonal shift in the end caught me off guard i don't know if either of you realized it starting on for me it's page 328 i guess they're showing that the story is being handed off from galen to Jin. They stop referring to Jin and Lyra and yes. begin referring to them as Mama and Papa. And instead of doing that for the final line of the book, they do it for about the last like five pages and it becomes just strange. I don't know if this is some, something above my head as a literary device or if it's just odd.
1: There was also a point, I think, in the beginning of the novel where the author used Krennic's first name and then switched to using his last name. I,
0: I, yeah. I don't I know if I area. can yeah. a-
1: explain it. Yeah, I I, I don't know.
0: I, I, again, I think you're right, Matt. I think it's supposed to be the sim- the symbol of this is now Jin's story. But again, because they just changed perspectives mid Mid-chapter, all the time, it's very hard to. Like, there were a couple of chap, a couple of sentences where I'm a paragraph in and I don't know whose story I'm following mm-hmm. right now. Whereas, if it was chapter by chapter, it'd be much easier to tell that.
1: Yeah, I don't think that technique necessarily works too well because it's so confusing and it keeps switching as you're reading the novel.
2: Well, then it continually uses third person sometimes where you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's not the it's like it's not the character of Mama and Papa, it, but they, the way they phrase the sentences, it is. It's not her referring to them as Mama and Papa. It's Mama and Papa stood there. It's like we still get this omniscient
0: narrator. Yeah. Yes. Just, yeah. yeah.
2: It's, some, yeah it's, it's an omniscient narrator, but sometimes it's this overall third person. Then sometimes it zooms into <laughs> a point of view and then zooms back out without Ugh. ever really transitioning. Yeah,
0: it w- it was certainly very odd. Um, so I hope this doesn't turn you off from Star Wars Novels Forever, Liz.
1: No, I'm hoping that I'll read another one now. Okay. It can only be better.
2: Some of them are really fantastic, and they really go the entire gamut of kind of old and hokey. Um, if you want to get into the Legends type of things, the romance of Princess Leia, um, or some of the new stuff that's come out has been really fantastic too.
1: All right, yeah, I'll be taking recommendations.
2: Yeah, uh,
0: and we'll definitely do another one of these in a few months. We'll pick another novel, and we'll we'll dig into there. Um, so I have an idea for next show. Well, I guess two shows to the listeners. The next one where the three of us sitting down, and just I, I want to just gauge your interest. Uh, just sort of out of the blue with this, how would you feel about? doing a just like episode 9 rampant speculation episode where we kind of we don't know much about it yet just kind of digging into maybe what we think it's going to be about and just maybe over analyzing a trailer you know things like that does that sound like a fun thing to do
1: yes yes <laughs>
0: okay so next time we'll get to there it'll be the rampant speculation episode Woo-hoo. nine spectacular <laughs> uh, until then go to multiversity where you can find other podcasts other articles more star wars stuff as well as lots of not star wars stuff liz is currently uh going back through battlestar galactica season two for us for our summer tv binge um so that is some sci-fi content for you uh there's lots of other good stuff there multiversity all day every day um I can be found on Twitter. I am at Brian app. Matt, you are new to Twitter as well.
2: I am. You can find me at Matt D Ligori. L I G U O R I. And uh, I do
1: not have a Twitter for this, so yes. I'm going to create one for our next podcast.
0: There we go. That's
2: right.
1: Okay. Perhaps you could be my first follower.
0: There we go. That that will be fun. And so remember, the force will be with you always.